This is the SF Productions Podcast Network. How I Got My Wife to Read Comics Episode 542 Can a comic book collector of over 30 years get his wife to read them? Will she let him keep them? Learn more in this podcast. Let's go to the comic book lounge with Mindy and Mark. Crisis on Infinite Lois's, a Kent family reunion, the Terrifics tap out on paper, Johns is too busy on Stargirl to get his own comic out, Buffy and Cordelia sitting in a tree, the return of Gary Seven, and Distribution Wars, they have begun. This is How I Got My Wife to Read Comics for Sunday, June 7th, 2020. I'm Mark. And I'm Mindy. Just a reminder, you can go to sfpodcastnetwork.com to get the feed, other SF podcasts and blogs, or you can subscribe via your favorite podcast catcher and maybe leave us a review somewhere. You can email sfpodcastnetwork at gmail.com, like us at facebook.com slash sfppn, follow us on Twitter at sfppn, check out tumblr.com slash blog slash sfppn, or call us at 614-321-9737. That's 614-321-9-SFP. Lois Lane number 10 of 12 by Rucka, Perkins, and Troy. We're nearing the end of this mini, which means major threads need to be resolved. This issue does so via multiverse logic. The question explains why Jessica Midnight feels so disconnected and lost. She's just one of many Jessicas spread throughout many Earths. We get several splash pages referencing multitudes of Superman, Batman, Wonder Woman. She then refers to the story of a guy who dreams they are a butterfly, and when they awake, it isn't true. So is he a man dreaming of being a butterfly, or a butterfly dreaming of being a man? Turns out they are both, just in different universes. Somehow, versions of Jessica Midnight have blurred together. Renee isn't even sure if the Lois we have been dealing with is from this universe or not. Speaking of Lois, Superman drops by after she texts if he's available for a call. Clark explains that a call has lots of meaning today. He also enjoys some potato chips. She explains that she should be safe from the Angel of Death and they are planning a trap for her, all while Soup flies in and out, saving people and stopping disasters. Meanwhile, Jessica and the sister discuss having multiple lives. Apparently, this happens to everyone, but only a few realize it. So the trap? Lois orders a pizza with a credit card, which alerts the angel of death to her location. In she comes, convinced that the trap they have set won't work since Superman is busy. Well, the trap is more magical than physical as Jessica sets up a mystic circle intending to trap the angel while the sister takes her place. Unfortunately, the swap occurs just as the angel fires her gun and the question takes it in the gut. Action Comics number 1022 by Bendis, Ramita Jr., Mickey, and Anderson. With the recent shutdown of the comics industry, I find myself trying to remember what was happening before we were so rudely interrupted. I also have been checking to see if I missed an issue that might arrive later. I got three Justice League issues over the past two weeks, for example. In this case, I didn't miss anything. Connor Kent is now working with Superman to find out who he is and why he's in this universe. He's being checked over by the Fortress's computers when two figures arrive from the future, John Kent and Brainiac 5. John's plan was just to give Brainy a tour of the Fortress, but instead the two sons of Superman meet. So let me get this straight. I go off to the 31st century to join the Legion of Superheroes and you go and get a new cooler son? Cooler? 
Well, the jacket is fabulous. Brainy offers his assistant to find out what's going on while Clark has called in some others. Meanwhile, at the Daily Planet, the staff meets to figure out if they still have a place to work or not, since it was just revealed that the paper is owned by a gangster, a.k.a. Leon. Will anyone even want to buy the paper? Well, circulation is up due to all the controversy, and Perry intends to be business as usual until the FBI shuts them down. Oh, and Kate Spencer is there as Lois's personal attorney. Speaking of Leon, she and Red Mist discuss their next plans as well as Mist's loyalties since she had the chance to kill Superman and didn't. Over to the Hall of Justice, where a group of scientists meet with the Kents. Brainiac 5, Will Magnus, Mr. Terrific, Batman, the Ray Palmer, and Ryan Choi Adams, the Blue Beetle. They talk about how this may or may not prove that reboots have happened, while Brainy assumed that this was historic fact. Clark asks Connor about his childhood post-Cadmus, where, as a clone, he was created. When he replied that he lived with Ma and Pa Kent, they go there to find out more. When Ma and Pa see Connor, they initially don't recognize him, but then a flood of memories hit them and they hug it out. So why doesn't Superman remember any of this? Cut to Lois and Jimmy checking out a lead about Leon. Turns out it's a trap and Red Mist is there. Just a huge data dump in this issue and probably the best thing to do in order to get everyone back up to speed. Mark wasn't thrilled with the artwork with one panel of Romita's art seeming to cave in Superman's head. Now, Mark, I just want to say here that this sort of ties in with the Lois Lane issue in that maybe the thing that those characters are talking about with having multiple lives over multiple universes is a result of the reboots. Yeah. Yeah. Essentially, the the reboots are now merging. Yes. That's, That's what we're getting out of all this. The Terrifics, number 27 by Yang, Davila, Sefuentes, and Protobunker. This title's been wandering a bit since Jeff Lemire left the title, but there have been some interesting diversions. Currently, they are below Gateway City fighting off bizarre monsters. Seeing the tide going against them, Terrific calls in the Tea Council, which he formed after some recent events and, of course, didn't advise the team about. Manbat, Dr. Veritas, Tom and Tesla Strong, Blue Beetle, the Ryan Choi Adam, and Silas Stone, Cyborg's father now with cybernetic limbs. Combined, they finish off the monsters. Back on the surface, Sapphire Stag sees Stagatron coming out of the subway, who announces that Simon Stag is dead and that his preferred progeny is now taking over. Back to the team, who argue with Silas about the level of force to be used. He's for the lethal kind. They run into Plastic Man's son, also turned into a monster, and after some debate, follow him into the caves. Manbat hears voices in one tunnel, and the Tea Council follow those. Meanwhile, the Terrifics find Simon Stagg now absorbed by a demon's body. That's who's causing all this. Simon realizes that they share control of the demon's body, and he holds it in place while the Terrifics attack. They manage to pull Simon out, but this demon skewers him before dying. The team returns the body back to the surface. Now, this all sounds exciting, but this is the final print issue of the series. DC decided to publish the final three issues as digital-only, Sorry, not interested. Mark, do you think that maybe DC really is getting away from distributing these just to make graphic novels of them later? Well, I think we're going to talk about that in a minute, but absolutely. Okay. (laughs) Shazam, number 12, by Loveness, Peterson, and Atiyah. Hey, this isn't the regular creative team. 
Well, it seems that Jeff John spent all this downtime not trying to catch up on an often delayed series. Yep, it's a fill-in issue. It takes place before the series began, which means there's only one Shazam, that being Billy Batson. He's with Freddie Freeman, and they run into a crocodile man, basically a crocodile wearing a business suit. Billy says the magic word and makes quick work out of the villain. Freddie wonders if Billy is doing all he can do, considering his power set. Billy, being a kid, takes this as an affront and goes to Gotham to team up with a caped crusader. Instead, he runs into Scarecrow and, of course, gets a dose of his fear gas. Batman arrives to find Shazam going wild and takes him down by telling him to use the fear of failure as a motivator. Billy shakes off the gas's effect, probably due to his power, and Scarecrow is taken into custody. Billy asks if this counts as a team-up, and when Batman says no, Billy replies, Oh, wow. Okay, sure. I get it. Fine. You only team up with Superman. Don't be stupid. Superman teams up with me. That counts as a team-up. Totally counts. A cute story which could have appeared 10 years ago or 10 years from now. It makes absolutely no sense that DC didn't coerce Johns to buckle down during this crisis and catch up. Buffy the Vampire Slayer, every generation number one from Boom Studios by Magruder, Knight, Beam, Garcia, and Yarsky. This one-shot may or may not be in continuity from the main series. Buffy is back at the Hellmouth and finds what may be a helpful demon named Agog. At least he doesn't attack her, curious that she's done so well so far. A quick cut back before she went down, she's arguing with Cordelia and Giles that she should go down there alone. Now... Why this may not be in main continuity, Buffy and Cordelia are girlfriends. It's clear they're in a relationship, which is, I believe, totally new for the franchise. Yes. They argue that Buffy needs to let them help her, but she refuses and runs in alone. Back to the Hellmouth, where she finds the Hell Mother and they duke it out. Buffy appears to die, but wakes up to see Agog watching her. He tells her she's wasting her time, but Buffy runs off to fight again. What I got from this, Mark, was that this was something that was rerunning over and over and over again in different iterations, and that she was going to go in again and kill the, or not kill the Hell Mother and then come back out, and that this just might be an echo or something of what was going on in the main continuity, with different, like, Buffy iterations going on. Hmm. There are also two stories about other Slayers throughout history, a Filipino version in 1910 and an Irish one in 1947. The first one successfully fights off a demon, while the other dies to stop vampire nuns. This device has been used in other one-shots, and I'm kind of surprised they don't just make this a backup story in the main comic. Me too. Star Trek, Year 5, Number 11 from IDW by Lancet, Kelly, Thompson, Keene, and Kirkhoff. This is another title that we had to confirm that we didn't miss an issue. Who comes into the narrative but Gary Seven, who originally appeared in TOS episode Assignment Earth. He's basically Doctor Who, a man who can travel through time, has a female companion, a cat woman named Isis, and uses a pen-like device to do whatever the plot needs it to do. In fact, there is debate that Roddenberry based Seven on the Doctor, although the series had not jumped the pond by that point. But it's not like Gene wouldn't have heard about it. Anyway, Seven has returned. Apparently, 80 years have gone by in his continuity, and he's been sent to the Enterprise to destroy it? Meanwhile, Kirk and Spock discuss the events of the first contact in recent issues. Spock is convinced he did the wrong thing, throwing his civilization into civil war, while Kirk tells him he chose the best of multiple bad options. In engineering, Scotty and his team, along with Uhuru, make final adjustments to a spacesuit designed to allow the Tholian to move about the ship. 
Seven pops in and takes over engineering, but is attacked by the Tholian. The rest of the issue is about moves and countermoves, with Kirk evacuating the entire crew to the surface of a nearby planet. Who knew the Enterprise had so many escape pods? Seven and Isis appear to kill multiple crew members before that happens, though. In the end, Kirk and Seven meet on the bridge, still under Kirk's control. The next issue shows a shadow of someone being shot in the head, with the Enterprise placard getting hit with blood. Well, we know Kirk doesn't die, so... Well, we've got yet another seismic shift in comic book news. DC announced on Friday that they were severing their partnership with Diamond Distributors, going exclusively with two companies that did not exist two months ago. Lunar Distribution, a.k.a. DCBS, the largest mail-order company for comics in the U.S., will handle West Coast orders, and UCS, a.k.a. New York's Midtown Comics, will handle the East, although it's not clear that those territories are exclusive. It's also not clear how non-U.S. orders will work. Penguin Random House will handle the bookstores, apparently. All of this is going into place almost immediately with books shipping the week of 6.30 coming from those new sources. Now there's a boatload of questions yet to be answered. What happens to comics between now and 6.30? What happens to comics already shipped to Diamond for future distribution, including Batman number 92 with a huge print run due to a new character? What about the comics that were halted and that Diamond was going to add to new orders over time? Will the local comic shops get as good a deal on comics with the new distributors? Won't Midtown Comics have an enormous advantage over their competitors? It's as if a McDonald's bought their beef from another McDonald's. What will the other publishers do in response? Will Diamond survive without the number two publisher? Well, we've already heard from our LCS, Packrat Comics, They just pulled all DC titles off the wall with plans to only sell DC to poll subscribers going forward. I have just canceled the bulk of my DC titles on that poll account with plans to concentrate on indie titles and publishers. I don't want to reward DC any more than I have to. We're still figuring out how this will affect the podcast, but you should expect format changes at least. Now, I put out a long screed about all this on the blog. It will be very interesting to see what happens. I think you've predicted that DC is going to get out of the floppy business entirely. Yes. And this is what we referred to earlier when we said maybe they're just going to go all digital and only publish collections. Yes, absolutely. I think it's going to go to all trades in terms of paper product. It's going to be trades. Although, frankly, are people going to buy trades when otherwise they're buying digital? I, I, don't, well, I don't know if, if I... It, would you buy trades and not buy digitals? It's possible. But, you know, then you just buy the story arcs you were interested in, not everything. Yes. <laughs> but really, in, in a certain thought, they have to keep publishing at least like Wonder Woman. Absolutely. That's a very good point. Because they'll lose the rights. Right. Yeah, for for those who aren't aware, DC doesn't actually own the Wonder Woman character. They have an ongoing agreement with the comics creator. Part of the agreement is if DC stops printing a Wonder Woman book, the rights revert back to the creator's family. So I wonder if it's actually printing or if it's... um, Does it count if it's digital? Digital, and then they print the collection? I think that would... I would guess that would count. But I'm I, sure I, they're looking into it. Yes. And this is just a, again, a, 
a major event in comics. We're looking at something, and I, I, again, I don't want to go too much into this because I go into it in the, in the blog, but basically this is a mirror of what happened in the late 80s when Marvel decided they wanted to control the distribution. So they pulled away from everybody, the other distributors, and went with a company essentially they created or -hmm. they brought from a regional to suddenly a national company, which failed miserably for months. You couldn't get Marvel comics in most of the country. (laughs) But maybe that's what DC's aiming for. So, yep. But we'll see. (laughs) We shall see. Well, before we get out of here, it's time to play America's fastest growing new game show. Guess who's on the cover of Entertainment Weekly? Except we don't have an Entertainment Weekly this week, Mark. We should have, but we don't. Well, because we had to make some changes in light of Entertainment Weekly becoming Entertainment Monthly. So let's bring out the big newsstand. No whammies, no whammies, no whammies. Let's get a magazine that hasn't already been shut down and stop. Oh, it looks like it's TV Guide again, Mark. (laughs) Okay. Are you ready? I'm ready. All right. Uh, TV, it's TV related. It is TV related. And is it one show represented on a cover? Yes. Okay. Is it a show on broadcast? No. Is it on cable? No. Is it on streaming? Yes. It's. Uh, is it on Netflix? Yes. Um, is it a? Is it genre related? Um. I don't. I don't think so. Okay. Is it? Is it scripted? Yes. Okay. Is it a documentary? No. Um, is, uh, is it a comedy? Yes. Um, it's a comedy on, is it a new comedy on yes. Netflix? Okay. Is, um, it's not Space Force, is it? It is Space Force. Hey. Hey, good job, Mark. You got that in less than a minute. So who's in Space Force? That's, uh, that's, um, uh, Steve uh, Carell. Yep. Okay. I, we haven't actually watched that yet. No. I've got it on my list of things to, to at least try out, although I've actually read some so-so reviews of it, so well, we'll see. Yeah. All right, announcer bot, how can the folks find us online? Go to sfpodcastnetwork.com to get the feed, other SF podcasts, and blogs. Subscribe by your favorite podcast catcher and leave us a review. You can email sfpodcastnetwork at gmail.com. Like us at Facebook.com slash SFPPN. Follow us on Twitter at SFPPN. Check out Tumblr.com slash blog slash SFPPN. Call us at 614-321-9737. That's 614-321-9SFP. Back to you, Mark. Thanks for listening, everybody. Bye. Bye Bye-bye.